Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Ian Schulte, 16 years of career and volunteer experience, currently a training chief with the City of Pooler Fire Department in Georgia. Ian is all for making the fire service better through stress-based and realistic training. Ian's passion towards the job, physical fitness, and making sure one is competent to the citizens we serve is a must for everyone to hear. With that, I present Mr. Ian Schulte. Uh, my name is Ian Schulte. Um, I've been in the fire service for 16 years, uh, about 13 and a half to 14 of those career. Um, currently serving as the training chief for the city of Pooler, Georgia, just outside Savannah. Uh, I got into the fire service because um, my father uh, passed away uh, earlier this year, was a assistant chief for the department that I started on. He was a firefighter for 28 years, and him and my mom both loved to tell me that I was conceived on the back of a fire engine. Um, so, you know, um, I, I grew up in the firehouse, um, was around it all the time. I mean, when I was a kid, apparently I was even my job was to show a bunch of the new guys around the trucks. I mean, I was just enamored with it. and There was nothing that I wanted to do more when i was a kid other than be a firefighter now like when i was like maybe 15 16 17 the only thing that i wanted to be was in a death metal band but uh you know i had to find a way to pay for school and the department that i started on was doing a tuition in exchange for service program where basically they put you through a fire one class and then after that you work a shift assignment based on a 24 48 you would work 12 of that 24 on that rotation and they paid for you to go to school. Now, not only did that get you all your certifications and everything that you needed, but it actually gave you shift-based experience, um, working with the same work group, working a day, getting two days off, and also being able to go to school for whatever you wanted. And when I started on my first night of that uh, Fire One class, uh, it was my 18th birthday. And I will tell you, man, like that night I walked out of there um, and I knew what I wanted to do for a living for, for the rest of my life. And, you know, I, I did the tuition in exchange for service program for a couple of years. And then I got picked up by a single station department in the suburbs of Cincinnati. Uh, I worked there for mm, seven, seven and a half years, maybe. And I left there as a Lieutenant in 2017 and charged the department's training program where I left and came to my current employer. Um, Came down there, uh, wound up going bankrupt because my expenses versus my income were drastically different than what I was used to in my life. And then um, I left and worked as a captain and acting shift commander for the city of Williston, North Dakota. Was out there for just about a year. And um, a lot of great people out there in Williston. Um, still some of the best friends that I've ever made in this world uh, I worked with in that community that I'm still very close to. Um, but it was a very difficult place to live. I wound up, you know, talking with my old boss, um, who was the former training chief here at Pooler, um, who convinced me to come back. He made it work. And I've been at Pooler ever since where I've served as 
firefighter, driver, engineer, lieutenant. Um, and then this year I started out as a lieutenant, was made captain. And then when the training chief left, uh, I became the training chief, which I've been for uh, just under a month now. Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, for those that don't know, can you tell us about the the city of Pooler, the size um the size of your department, how many stations, personnel, et cetera? Uh, yeah. So Pooler is about 30 square miles between the actual incorporated city. I think that our total boundaries winds up being about 38 with the unincorporated contracted areas that we have. Currently, we operate four engines, two trucks, and a battalion chief every day. Um, right now, we're, we're down some guys. We're about a shift's worth of manpower down. Um you know, everybody's struggling across the country to be able to mm -hmm. recruit and retain people. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're not in any different boat than, than anybody else. Um, but our absolute minimum staffing, uh, three men per rig, um, and a battalion chief. So 19 a day is where we sit at as far as minimums go. Now, some shifts are lower than that. Actually, I think all shifts are, are lower than that currently. So we have constant mandos, but you know, we've got recruit class in of eight personnel and as soon as that class is through we're gonna have to put another class on uh, which we do our own in-house 26 week academy um we'll run classes as small as you know two three guys or as big as 13 14 people depending you know and we do all that stuff uh in-house through some creative engineering and you know uh just basically making shit happen that's that's what we do yeah. Um, 26 weeks. That's a, yeah, I, I thought, I thought you were going to say a little something, something a little shorter than that, but 26 weeks, that's no easy task. No. And um, with, with that, you know, that's, we start out with six weeks of EMT. Um, so they basically get a crash course in NREMT. After that, they go to firefighter one, uh, firefighter two, hazardous materials awareness, operations, fire and life safety educator, and they'll do anywhere between six and eight weeks of how we operate because we operate at a, at a different tempo than some of the other organizations in, in the area. You know, we send instructors to conferences around the state, around the region, and sometimes even around the country to go out and try and learn new things to try and keep us up with industry best practice as much as possible. Okay. All right. Um, so my first question to you is, what does the term aggressive mean to you? Yeah, man. So I was thinking about this and it's not so easy to, to define. Um, but basically what I came up with that is aggressive or aggression in the fire service is forceful guided action usually met with some type of speed, which is intended to gain operational tempo in overwhelming whatever it is that we're up against. So basically trying to use thoughtful action under speed while maintaining situational awareness to try and gain the upper hand in the situation. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, uh, uh, aggressiveness or uh, the word aggressive gets a bad rap. You know, some people see it as recklessness and and some see it, some see it as doing our job. But uh, it's just one of those questions I wanted to hear different people's perspectives on because, you know, that word can 
can can trigger some people and 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 spark debate and whatnot. But I, I like I like the way you put it. Yeah, and, and I understand that aggression can get a real bad rap, especially in 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 our line of work. But you know, at, at the end of the day, we are trying to make a thoughtful decision. We are trying to do the best that we can for the general public. And our industry has really started to put ourselves first for so long to the point where it's almost become counterproductive and trying to generate an operational tempo that allows us to get ahead of the incident that we're trying to overcome is honestly, it's, it's paramount. You know, people say no running on the fire ground. Well, you know, I disagree, but at the end of the day, if your organization says no running on the fire grounds, no ifs, ands, or buts, that doesn't mean that you cannot operate with, you know, with speed mm-hmm. and you can not operate with some level of, of aggression. Um, that doesn't mean that we're just running head first into everything that comes our way. It's taking thoughtful, decisive action, you know, um, because I would never advocate for somebody to try and kill themselves simply for the sake of killing themselves because it makes us look cool mm-hmm. doing this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, man, like we're here to serve the general public and we need to do the best that we can do. We need to train to the greatest level of our ability. You know, um, I think it's Robbie Owens who says that every day you need to have a workout. You need to do an hour of studying and you need to do an hour of training. You know, I didn't invent that. And, you know, maybe he didn't either. But at the end of the day, if we are doing the best that we can to improve our knowledge, if we are doing the best that we can to improve our physical capabilities and we are doing the best that we can to serve the general public, I mean, inherently, you will start breeding some level of aggression in your action when it comes to that. Oh, well, definitely. Definitely. Well said, for sure. Um, a question I want to ask you. So you've you've pretty much been in every single rank uh you know up to excluding uh deputy chief fire chief and stuff things of that nature but uh the training chief's position how um how did that passion come about like to to take a training chief spot like what what is motivating you to be the best version of yourself in that position well, man, so some of that comes down to understanding how I got into the training chief's position to begin with, which um, was a combination of pure accident. And I was the best person prepared for in the job uh, to, to take it over in, in the department. So I went to a class called Flames, uh, which is Firefighters Laboring and Mastering Essential Skills back in 2020, uh, class 30. And I got hurt. Well, when I got hurt at flames, that wound up forcing me into a light duty job. Uh, I damaged my shoulder. And to this day, I still have some shoulder issues uh, left over from that because got to love workers comp. They don't actually fix the problem. They just get you to a level of relative (laughs) functionality. Right. But um, anyways, I wound up doing a a stint in the training division because I was one of our department's adjunct instructors. Well, the training chief that I was working for at the time said, you know, Why don't you try your hand at running the recruit class? You know, I'll teach you how to set up all the schedules, coordinate the instructors, and it'll be good for you in the future if you ever decide that you want to move up the the chain. Well, fast forward for about a year and a half, I was our department's lead recruit instructor, and uh, that's that was my job. I churned out recruit class after recruit class. I got our guys prepared to go to the floor. Um, and put through probably four or five recruit classes in that time because while our full recruit class is 26 weeks, we'll do lateral programs if people are certified that takes about six weeks in there. 
Okay. So, um, with that, um, after about a year and a half, uh, I was given the chance to go back to the truck. I wanted to do a bid on the ladder company, which as a senior lieutenant in the organization, I was able to, to do that. And then in the first part of 2023, um, I was given the option to come back to training where I could run recruit school. And after we ran a recruit class without a lead instructor, um, and we determined that there were some issues with not having one person to lay out the entirety of how that system works, um, we were having higher failure rates. So we put somebody back in charge of recruit school, and then fast forward, we went through a class. Now I'm on my second class of the year, and my training chief that I was working for um, wound up getting hired on a department back home. He was originally from Wisconsin. You know, he wanted to be closer to his family. His parents were getting up in age and he was looking for a, a fresh opportunity to be to be back with them. So as somebody who had been working for the past two or three years, more or less full time, learning to do all the different roles and responsibilities of the training chief in the department, um, I was pretty much the, the no brainer as far as it went. OK. All right. Um, so it's kind of segues to my next topic realistic training on a small budget now i i've heard the size of pooler uh i don't know what your your operational budget is but that this this question or this topic seems to be another uh hot topic in the fire service uh so how do you go about doing realistic training to your recruits and to your uh men and women already on shift on on the truck yeah, man. So I really have to get creative because while I might have uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars within my divisional budget to be able to put training together, you know, that's including all of my per diems. That's including my lodging for classes. That's including, you know, like my IFSTA resource one for me to be able to host classes through the course of the year. That's including some equipment that might go into it. I mean, if I were to sit here and actually trim out what I have left tangibly to be able to spend on um, props and everything, I, I don't have a tremendous amount of money and I don't have a training center. So I have to get creative as much as I possibly can. So I actually we have an agreement with the neighboring county. It's about 17 miles from the city where we can go and we can use their facility. And I got to tell you, those guys are are fantastic individuals i could call them up today and say hey uh cap can i come out there and can i bring my guys out to do search training and he's like yeah i mean um i'll have my guys training over here on this building you can have your guys training over here on that building things are fantastic or yeah you know um whatever it is that you want to do my guys are going to be in the classroom all day so you have free run of, of the facility to do whatever skills you want um, so working with our neighboring jurisdictions or maybe not the people who immediately border us, but people that we're close with, you know, it's, it's been fantastic for us. So that way we have facilities for, uh, our guys to train at on top of that, when it comes to more of the on shift type stuff, you know, we'll use acquired structures, you know, uh, our community is evolving at a rapid pace. You know, I want to say it was 2001. The community was basically like a one stoplight town of less than 6,000 residents. Now, you know, we're 
at 30,000, if not just under, and probably within the next five years, we're going to be touching 40,000, if not more. You know, we, we sit in a highly sought after area um, because Hyundai is building a, a massive site in the general area. The Ports of Savannah is doubling in size, and we are a very nice intersection of, of Interstate 95 and Interstate uh, 16. A lot of things community at an extremely rapid rate now getting back to the training side um you know we'll have structures that get on occasion on top of that you know we have props that we've put at different stations you know one station we have a roof prop at one station we have um a four store which we could move back and forth to different stations if we needed to we typically don't it pretty much stays at station one um station two has uh it's a block building so we can throw ladders against it um carry a bunch of spare tools over there, you know, keep a reserve rig there so we can make sure that our recruits wind up running with us. Uh, and everything. You know, we used to, before we have those names, so we can practice fire attack over there. And basically, man, you know, there's no real frills to it. It's just coming up with drills, things that we've gone to, and more or less just making shit happen you know, mm-hmm. and we have to adapt, we have to improvise, we have to try and overcome is inherently what it comes down to. Uh, hopefully in the next few years, we can change that up. We could get a facility where we could do more live burn training on shift. We could do more creative type training um, beyond what, we, what we're currently doing. You know, we have a lot of goals, both and ambition, but right, man, we're just doing the best that we can, what we got, and we're, we're proud of what it is that we do. Okay. All right. I'll check that question off. The next one I have for you is the topic of stress-based training. You mentioned before we started that that was a a a near and dear topic for you. So I'll let you uh, I'll let you have the floor on 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 this particular topic. Yeah, man. So uh, when I was a firefighter in Northern Kentucky, I went to you know uh, basically a volunteer fire one academy where they basically showed up, they went through some lectures, they demonstrated some skills, you practice some skills. And at the end of the day, you demonstrated the skills, you know, they might've had one small cumulative exercise at the end, which rep was similar to like a firefighter one test out, but that was it, man. You know, mm-hmm. maybe did one live burn, which you had five people on a line and everything. So I came into the fire service with, yeah, maybe I, I had been tested. Maybe I was certified, but it didn't necessarily mean that I was qualified to do the job. You know, when I went to my first building fire, um, I was absolutely coming unglued in the back of the ladder truck. You know, we were riding on this little 60 foot quint or whatever. And we show up and half this house is going off and I am absolutely coming unglued in the back seat. Like I'm freaking out. I'm hyperventilating. And the guy next to me is telling me to shut the fuck up. You know, <laughs> like I was a hot fucking mess. Okay. You know, and not not to mention, I get out of the truck and then I'm my old man standing there fucking screaming at me. You know, I didn't raise a fucking pussy, force the fucking door, get the fuck in there, do your job, all this stuff. You know, so little 18 year old me, 10 out of 10, not having a good time on my first go. But I'd never been put under any pressure like that before in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, so fast forward, you know, eight, 10 years and I throw everything away in my life. You know, I, I had built a, a, a reputation got promoted at a very young age and um some good with that reputation some bad it is what it is um the the sins of my youth 
but I throw my life away and I moved down to Georgia because I just like something told me that I had not reached my full potential at that point. And I'll tell you, man, it was the best decision that I ever made. Um, you know, did it cost me a lot of valuable time with family? And have I missed out on a lot of things? Absolutely. But the academy that I got tossed into was brutal. Um, very structured, very regimented, you know, when we're doing drills, you know, ask the question, like, why are we doing the drill this way? And the answer you get is because fuck you. That's why, you know, right, um, right, right. The, the goal was to put you under as much stress as possible while seeing if you can physically work through it. And I will tell you, I didn't understand it when I went through it because there was days when I would come home from recruit class and I would just sit on my couch and I would wonder why did I give up everything that I gave up? to come down here and to be treated this way and, and to go through this physical and mental anguish. But I'll tell you, man, like when I came out the other end of that recruit school, when we did our final burn day, which was like 24 to 36 hours long of just, you know, we were doing venom research drills. We were doing rescue drills. We were doing fire attack drills. We were doing PT just for the sake of doing PT, getting screamed at, you know, people playing with playing with your mind and just, constant psychological warfare through it at two o'clock in the morning when you're going to a building fire evolution where you have multiple victims trapped and you're not even thinking you're just reacting to the situation because you're so physically worn out it was at that point in time that i realized that what these guys were doing like like it works don't get me wrong some of it might have been a little over the top on occasion but at the end of the day those repetitions, that constant stress, that constant pressure that was on me paid dividends when you go to scenes and things are coming completely unglued and everybody's just kind of like hanging out, you know, like we're having a good old time. Everybody's moving with a purpose, you know, fast operational tempo and like just everything clicked. Um, And I will tell you, man, like, uh, I'd said it in my podcast that I did with Chris snow on rogue tailboard men are forged in the fires of adversity. You have to put people under pressure, realistic pressure to expect them to be able to perform under pressure. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, you know, I, I'm not going to do this drill, but like, man, it'll all come together when, when the time's right. No, it won't. If you never practice underneath stressors, if you never practice with, you know, somebody being combative with you in the front yard, if you never practice with somebody being combative with you in the building, if you never get yelled at in the front yard while you're not doing a drill, if you never go through any of that, how are you going to expect to react when sugar turns to shit and the world's coming apart in front of you? You know, one of three things is going to happen. You're either going to fight back, you're going to work through the problem, you're going to run away, or you're going to freeze. And I would rather you, one, fight and work through the problem if you can to get the fuck out of dodge because we can regroup and try and work on it later but the last thing that i want you to do is freeze because when you freeze you wind up in a situation where you can die because you've just become completely overwhelmed and you're, you're in sensory overload and you just you stop and in a life or death situation that's a death sentence man so for me you know like my recruits they at the end of it most of them wind up respecting me. Most of them even might even wind up, you know, liking me or even loving me as an individual. But in recruit school, it's it's not fun, man. You know, um, PT is rough. I have PT instructors, most of which are certified in some form of physical fitness or marathon runners. 
Um, some have degrees in, in physical fitness and we do a lot of job related physical fitness tests. They do a lot of working out in gear. And I know that a lot of people will tell me, well, what about the PFAS and gear? What about, mm -hmm. you know, all this and heat injury that, well, I'm sorry, but my guys need to be acclimated to working in that environment. We work in South Georgia and, you know, it may not be as hot as South Florida down here, but I can promise you that the summers are extremely uncomfortable. The best way to get used to being in gear for long periods of time is to be in gear for long periods of time. Yes, we have to pay attention to their hydration. Yes, we have to pay attention to their nutrition and everything. But so long as we're checking our boxes and we're making sure that our guys are being well taken care of, we can continue to push the limits on them physically. Um, because as we build their physical resiliency, we're starting to build their mental resiliency by constantly adding stress. You know, uh, I try and be fair in everything that I do. I try and have everyone's back when it comes to recruit school and everything, but I have a standard that I have to uphold. And sometimes we'll put pressure on just for the sake of putting pressure on, not because I want to see them squirm or anything like that, but because I'm constantly trying to keep them under a level of stress as their body adapts to having those stress hormones in their body, you know, cortisol being the predominant one as they get used to that level of cortisol in their system, um, their body adapts to that higher threshold. So that way, if they wind up in a situation later on down the road, they're less likely to wind up freaking out. Their body recognizes that they've been in this level of stress before, and they're going to process that information better and work through the problem better and less likely to wind up freezing. Also, you know, um, it's been a while since I've looked at the data, but one of the one of the papers that I did for my bachelor's studies when I was doing my bachelor's degree, um, I wound up doing research on firefight, firefighter suicide and also stress inoculation training. And uh, I wasn't expecting to see any overlap in there, but I started to notice that, you know, we see a lot of mental health initiatives out there in the fire service today. And I think those mental health initiatives are great. You know, I, I could sit here and I could list off name after name of person that I know that's been in the fire service that's committed suicide. Some people who were fantastic mentors of mine and some people who were close friends and even one of my guys who was a recruit in one of my classes two years ago um, committed suicide last year. Um, so like it's, it's near and dear to my heart, but at, at the end of the day, you know, I see all these mental health initiatives, but I don't see a lot of mental resiliency initiatives, you know, groups like, uh, the uncommon firemen fit to fight fire. Um, Rick George, uh, who I think is a phenomenal individual. We've had some great conversations. I'm not going to sit here and say that we're close or even that he would remember who I am. Um, you know, I would have to prompt him on some of those conversations that we had, but we have had some good conversations. Looking back at, at that, these groups that are meant to forge yourself physically are also helping to increase your mental resiliency because your mental resiliency can be directly correlated with your physical preparedness. Because when you're grinding yourself through a, a brutal workout, you have to get inside your head, you have to calm the guy in the corner down, and you just have to grind through, and you work on putting yourself through that stress level. Um, so, like, man, this is a twisted web of all these different things that come together um, that really have a tremendous impact, not only on us, just from being more proficient on the fire ground, 
but working into our mental and and physical longevity as far as our, our health is concerned all of it is kind of like it all comes together yeah no you're right you're right and and it's, it's funny you state that because th- that's another top another hot topic is working out and turnout gear i look at it as i mean I, i've listened to the uh podcast where they've interviewed uh these um uh, I won't call them scientists, but people that that look into PFAS and gear and all that. But at the end of the day, it's you damned if you do, you damned if you don't. Because on one hand, they're telling people uh, try to limit your time and gear, but on the other hand, we can't really do that because in order to get used to the heat and the 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 humidity, the heat trap, your your body feeling like it's overwhelmed. The only way to do that is to actually be in your gear. You get used to it and it is what it is. And at the end of the the day, the way I look at it is everything nowadays gives you cancer. You read certain things and it's like this food or this uh, particular chemical or whatever in the air, like every, it all relates to everything gives you, comes back to give you cancer. But I have made the commitment myself where, you know, I'm going to work out in gear because it's the only way to get better at this job. So you, you just have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, at the end of the day, I want to live as long as I can, but I'm not going to let the fear of a potential PFAS make me not want to train in my gear. Absolutely. And, you know, um, if I could come up with a viable alternative, I, I would truly consider it because I, as many friends as I've lost to suicide, you know, I've probably lost that many or more uh, in this job to occupational cancer. And I'm not talking down to any of the cancer warriors that that are out there. You know, their fight is is tremendous and the families that they've left behind, you know, also tremendous. Um, and I don't want to downplay their concerns because their concerns are valid. Their feelings are valid. But at the end of the day, man, like we have a job to do and we have to make a decision you know, uh, on what way we're going as far as it's concerned. And if I had a viable alternative, you know, like I've considered getting a pair of Carhartt suspenders and a Carhartt long coat and just seeing if it's, if it's similar. And if it's something that's similar, that can provide me the bulkiness that can provide me the insulation or something like I'm willing to champion trying different things. But at the end of the day, right now I have turnout gear that's in front of me. I need to be practicing in that because that is what I am actually going to be going to fires with. That's what I'm going to be going to accidents with where I might be out on the interstate for four hours at a time in direct sunlight with no area of, of real respite, mm-hmm. you know, we, we got interstates down here and that, that stuff does happen. Um, but I don't have a viable alternative at this point. So, you know, I'm not saying that we should just, continue to only look at doing it in turnout gear. I'm not necessarily saying that's not the case either. I'm willing to weigh it out and I'm, I'm willing to entertain stuff. But at the end of the day, we've got a job to do. It's, it's the risk that I assumed when I signed up to be a firefighter and inherently, man, I'm going to do what I think is best for the general public. And if I, I think that what's best for the general public is me working out in my turnout gear. That's the decision that I've made. I'm not saying that everyone else has to do exactly what it is that I do. I'm a strange cat. I'm kind of a nerd and I have my own system of beliefs, not saying that I'm right. This is just, you know, my beliefs, right, wrong or indifferent. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Um, next question for you. 
do you, in your opinion, should there be a years of service clause for promotion? Man, so interesting topic there because when I came into the fire service, I only had five years of experience, and that's including my volunteer time. So I only had about two and a half to maybe three years of career experience before I got promoted to lieutenant, where I was put in charge of a shift and I was put in charge of three companies, you know, a, a fire company, a medic unit, and a, a swing company that either took a, another engine or ladder truck or ambulance. Um, and I will tell you, man, like I, I might've been a smart young kid, but I did not have the life experience that me looking back at now that made me ready for that. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know if years of experience is the right way to judge who's ready for promotion. Mm -hmm. I think that it should be a common, a, a combination of factors of time in grade time in the fire service, life experience, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that education is a bad thing, but I think that there are many chief officers out there who harp too heavily on post-secondary education, you know, and if there's a chief that out there that wants to debate me, I'm, I'm more than happy to compare pieces of paper and talk about the importance of post-secondary education um, because I am a firm believer in it. But at the end of the day, firefighting is a blue collar job. It takes guys willing to get their asses on the rig to go stretch line, throw ladders, cut holes, pull searches. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what degree is on the wall. That's a blue collar task that needs to be completed. So for line officers, um, years of service. Um, I think that everything should be handled on a case by case basis because years of service is important. Professional experience is important, but is it the end all be all? I know some guys who have shown up to work for 20 years and it is their first day, 20 years in a row. <laughs> I know some guys who have been on the job for two years who are squared away and have some life experience that would make some good officers with, with molding. Truly. I think that we try and shove, you know, square pegs into round holes and we try and shove circles into triangles and shit, you know, at the end of the day, I don't believe that we've created a comprehensive system that truly determines who is going to be the best in a leadership role because should we be doing tactical exercises on a drill yard to help determine the decision-making process behind a company officer? Absolutely. Should we be doing um, paperwork-based processes where we analyze somebody's ability to be able to write reports, where we analyze somebody's ability uh, to make informed HR decisions? Absolutely. Um, do I think that we need to have somebody demonstrate their ability to at least um, identify an issue within the organization and propose a potential solution to the problem that they have identified. Absolutely, because it is the obligation of officers in every organization to try and improve the organization as best they can. And I think that by taking somebody who has life experience in conjunction with some fire service experience, who maybe or maybe not has some post-secondary education, none of that stuff necessarily, well, it all matters. Some of it matters more than others. I don't know. I might be in an ADHD rabbit hole right now. If that answers your question, probably not. My okay. apologies. No, you're good. You're good. No apologies. I like hearing I like hearing different people's perspectives on it. So you're good. No need to apologize. One question I did uh, want to ask you, and this is another interesting, uh, not a topic, but this is 
this this question deals with everybody's different internals. So you have switched departments. You've been you have been with a department for several years and then decided to make the move. Were you nervous? Because you know, like we have people right now that are in departments either they don't really want to be at or they're afraid of the unknown of okay, if I leave a place that I've 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 had some I've had some tenure to start somewhere else, like did you have any of those feelings? What what was your experience with doing that? Man, was I afraid to throw my life away and start over 650 miles from home? Absolutely. I, I was deathly afraid. I was deathly afraid that I was going to fail, that um, everything that I had worked for up to that point, you know, was, was going to be all for naught. Um, but at the end of the day, man, like I said, it was the best decision that I ever made. Comfort is the enemy of growth. And I'm not going to lie, man, I was comfortable. I worked in a good organization. I made good money. Um, I had a future there and there was absolutely nothing wrong. I just, I wanted something different for myself. And I truly had felt that I had not been challenged to the level that um, I could have challenged myself. And don't get me wrong. I could have found unique challenges there that would have probably kept me entertained, you know, uh, in, in hindsight. Um not saying that I'm unhappy currently where I'm at or not just looking at it objectively. Um, like I needed that challenge. I needed that growth because I would have never had the courage to go back to school. I would have never had the courage to try different programs like, uh, flames or Spartan, um, which is another one of the programs down here in Georgia that I went through uh, earlier this year. Um, I would have never known what else was out there unless I got out of my comfort zone. You know, if there's guys who are on the fence who think that, you know, maybe I like where I'm at, but I'm getting a little too stale. Maybe I want to change it up. Go for it. You know, at, at, at the end of the day, the worst thing that's going to happen is you feel like you failed and you have to start over somewhere else again. Well, I'm here to tell you, cause uh, I left my job, in Kentucky, moved to Georgia. I was there for about seven months and I went bankrupt. Financially, I failed. One of my buddies bailed me out in North Dakota. I went up there. I made more money than I'd ever made before in my life. I nearly worked myself to death up there. And at the end of the day, I got myself set up financially for success. I was able to come back to Georgia and I was able to go through, you know, all but two ranks in this organization up, up to this point. You know, throwing your life away to see what you're made of like it's not easy it's it's not fun it's scary there's no doubt that it's scary i, I would be lying to you if i said oh yeah this that was a super easy thing to do no it, it absolutely was not um but at the end of the day it's the best decision that i made because it set in motion a chain of events that got me to where i am today um and i'm proud of everything that i've done i'm proud of every decision that i've made and like I said, man, I don't regret a thing. Yeah. All right. I like I like it. I mean, it's it's your it's your own, you know, opinion on it, but it is a it is a question I'm sure many contemplate in their head. It's like, all right, if I'm ready to move and you moved, what you said 650 miles. It's not like you moved to a neighboring department. You like left your home and came to Georgia. Do you have anybody in Georgia that you know? Like or beforehand? Well, 
uh, beforehand. So actually how I even found out about this place is I went to the National Fire Academy um, where I took command and control for multiple alarm incidents back in November of 2016. And the guy who's the recruiting officer uh, for our department, uh, he's a captain on one of our truck companies. I met him up there. Uh, super good dude. Um, good old boy from down here in South Georgia. Uh, absolutely love him to death. And he just said, Hey man, I know that you said that you were looking for a change. If you're interested, we're, we're hiring. And that was in the first part of 2017, man. And, you know, um, it, it was best decision that I ever made for me. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, next topic. Uh, your opinion only for promotion to company officer. Are you in favor for a simulated computer fire scenario or a real life scenario involving real people in real companies graded in real time at a training center? Yeah, man. So that one's kind of a no brainer. Uh, the Firebase Sims, it doesn't matter what company you buy it from. I'm not saying that there's not some better programs out there, but no fire sim is ever going to wind up replacing boots on the ground, actually being out on the drill yard and having a simulated event um, with people screaming, with potential occupants trapped. You can actually get closer to the actual decision making process that your aspiring officer is going to make. I don't have the luxury to be able to do that in my organization, though. I absolutely wish that I did. Um, yeah, that's a to me, that's a no brainer. OK, OK. And one more for you. It's, it's kind of a personal question, but in your current role, I know you've only done it a short time, though, but uh, do you miss the rig and will you ever go back? Man, so do I miss the rig? Absolutely. Um, I will tell you that working Monday through Friday is very different than shift work. <laughs> you know, people will <laughs> People will sit here and say, you know, like you only work 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess you're sort of right as far as that goes. But I, I will tell you from mentally working Monday through Friday, I feel like I am in the firehouse more than I've ever been. You know, my phone's always on. I'm constantly doing something involved in, in work. And don't get me wrong, man. I've been ate up with the job the entirety of my life. But there's less ability to to turn the job off now. Um would I absolutely love to go back to the rig? Yeah, man. The, there's a whole lot less responsibility on the rig than there is upstairs. But at the end of the day, man, it, uh, if you are caring, who work upstairs, then you're going to wind up having uh, an overall failure in leadership because we have to take care of our people. And don't get me wrong, I'm not the perfect dude. Sometimes my attitude will get the best out of me, you know, temperance, which is not one of my greatest, um, my greatest traits will sometimes go out the window. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always try to be better each and every day, but legitimately I care the most about, about my guys. And if there's nobody who's in their corner, we're going to wind up failing. So if in this current position, like I'm, I'm tasked to be upstairs, like I'll be upstairs for as long as I, I need to be. But at the end of the day, man, um, I don't necessarily believe in loyalty to an organization. And I tell this to all my recruits. I don't believe in loyalty to any organization. A fire department is a machine, man. 
The fire department itself, the machine, the government entity does not care about you. What cares about you is the people that are in it. I'm not loyal to the department. I'm not loyal to the job, if you will. I'm loyal to the people that are in it, the people who care for me, the people who I care about, the people who I know are in my corner and I'm in their corner. And I'm not saying that that's right, man, but, you know, you asked for my opinion and and legitimately, I love to go back to the rig. But if I can have a greater impact on the people that I serve with by serving in my current role, man, I'm going to keep on keeping on until the universe takes me in a different direction. If it takes me in a different direction, I don't know. I'll leave all that shit up to the mystical sky wizard. No, yeah, no. I mean, you're right. You're right. I, and and I, I, I understand your sentiments on on having a loyalty to a department it may come off wrong but you're right like it's the people it's not the name of the department it's the people that make you want to stay or make you want to leave make you want to better yourself or stay complacent and be lazy so i i i I totally i totally get it 100 percent. i get it and some people may disagree with you and that's fine that's why we have little debates and discussions but at the end of the day i can still respect you as a person because it's your opinion, and that's how you feel about it. So I, I'm, I, I agree with you 100. percent I really do because if you you can put in all the sweat, blood, tears into your department, and the day you leave, they give you a hurrah for a couple hours, and then that's it. They give you a little award with your name on it, and then the next day your position's filled. Thank you very much, sir. It's a business. Honestly, Absolutely. I mean, fire department's a business. I mean, it's the people, though, that you work with that you form these lifelong bonds. So I'm 100% in agreement with you on that. 100%. Uh, last uh, question for you. With you being a training chief, what is one of your favorite training topics? Like, what? Well, what's your niche? What do you like to teach? What's your passion? Uh, Man, so just a couple of weeks back, I was teaching ground ladders at the Oath Keepers Fire Conference. And I got to tell you, man, like I, I love truck work. You know, even when I was uh, an engine boss in northern Kentucky, predominantly my tasks were truck tasks on that engine. Um, and I worked myself to the truck boss position down here. You know, I didn't get a chance to do my my dream job. I didn't get a chance to be a tillerman. You know, we have a TDA on our job. Um, so I had to promote up to captain and then ride down on some overtime shifts to be able to to do that dream job. But when it comes to teaching, um, I love teaching forcible entry and I love teaching ladders. Uh, I can't really say that I love one more than the other. You know, when me and you met, we met at the Jay Muller training weekend. I was teaching forcible entry with the black flag cadre and mm-hmm. the other guys from from Spartan up there. And uh, man, like teaching with guys like Andy Pristak from Spartanburg, that dude is phenomenal with with his intellect he's a nerd like me and we bonded over our nerd stuff when it came down to understanding mechanical advantage and and force behavior and and everything like that you know um but when i was at oath keepers me and colby seal from east county texas where chief romagus is at me and him were teaching single man deployments of 35 ladders or 35 foot ground ladders you know whether it was a single section or a two section you know what the neatest part about any of that was was being able to show people that they could go past their perceived limits because when we were teaching at jay muller's training weekend 
at the end of it, we were teaching guys to force blindfolded by themselves. So to teach somebody to run two tools by themselves in a completely zero visibility environment, you know, like if you had to force that in an apartment hallway, because, you know, a lot of people have apartments uh, in their districts, you could have the potential to have to force in a zero vis environment, especially, you know, if that apartment's smoked out or that hallway smoked out mm -hmm. or you know, like in the district that I serve, we have a lot of four-story H-style or not H-style, but uh, horseshoe-shaped style apartments, U-shape. And we don't have a lot of access on the on the seaside because there's pools and there's gates back there. So our aerial turntables are kind of useless. So we might have to truck in 35-foot ground ladders. And we have an organizational doctrine that states that any person who rides on a truck company must be able to get a 35-foot ground ladder up by themselves if they needed to make a rescue off of a third story, four story balcony, you know? So to me, being able to take people and teach them these skills that they're taught might be dangerous, which yes, inherently, if you open up your coat, there's going to be an NFPA 1971 label that states that firefighting is an ultra hazardous, potentially deadly, you know, occupation, but teaching people these skills that they consider dangerous and show them that they are well within their reach as as a person. Even small women at Oath Keepers, some some ladies that I you would have looked at them and never said that she could get a 35-foot ground ladder out of the back of this aerial ladder, over to the building, 30 to 40 feet away, up against the building, and extended above the roof line. You would have never believed that they could do it by themselves. But they did it. All it took was somebody believing in them and showing them that it could be done. And they did it. Each and every time. Mm -hmm. And that's that's fantastic so you know what maybe that's more fun than teaching people you know some specific skills maybe just teaching them things that they didn't believe that they could do by themselves and then watching them light up at the end of it well yeah now i'll give you that i mean there's no greater feeling than when you have a doubt within yourself of man can i do this your mind's playing tricks on you your mind's like you're gonna fuck up you're gonna fuck up and then you get that notion of fear anxiety but when you're able to do the task there's no greater feeling than when you can look back and go i did that i did that shit and i i 100 agree with your sentiments on that that is that that's why i applaud instructors who take the time to break it down to the individual show them the uh crawl walk run method and then when they're able to achieve it give that person a high five and tell them, see, I know you can do it instead of the instructor that's out there yelling, you're a piece of shit. And I've, I've seen instructors like that. And I'm like, man, that's like, that's kind of, I mean, if that's your way, that's cool, but you're not really going to get far. A lot of people will not respect you for it. So I, I appreciate you saying that. Well, don't get me wrong, man. It, it, there's a time and a place. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're playing mental warfare, but it has to be based on the place. There are times where I may go out and do that to my recruits, but that's going to be to break them down. And then I'm going to come back on the backside and I'm going to build them up. At the end of the day, we should never be afraid to fail. And ultimately that is the biggest detractor in, in this entire industry is everybody is so afraid of failure. Mm -hmm. I'll be the first one to tell you that when I went to Spartan at like two o'clock in the morning, me and my guys screwed up on a drill. I was the senior man in my little task force of guys and we threw a ladder wrong and the situation spiraled out of control and I stabbed a simulated baby in the head with a Halligan bar. At the end of the day, man, like just because I've been on the job 16 years, I was a truck company officer, you know, in a couple months was going to move the training chief role. Not that I knew it then. 
dude, I screw up just as much as anybody else does. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I accept those failures. I wear those failures on my sleeve because I want people to understand that it's okay to fail on the drill yard. I want people to understand that it's okay to mess up. We're all human. We all make mistakes. I've never been to a building fire where everything went perfectly. And the fact is, if you can sit here and call out your screw ups and own it and you can make that commitment to be better, that means so much more to me than somebody who sat here and tried to be perfect the entire day long. And don't get me wrong, me out there yelling on the drill yard, telling you that you're a piece of shit is just me trying to get in your head to try and get that stress going. Not because I actually believe in any of that. I believe in my recruits and I believe in anybody that I train more than they believe in themselves because I have seen what people can do when they're in, you know, that environment where they've been so stressed out they switch to autopilot and then the true breadth of their knowledge comes out because they stop thinking and they just start doing and their muscle memory comes into play and they do the perfect search or you know they do a good ves or they stretch the line knock the fire down and back out in super short time and they don't really have any recollection of it at all but at the end of the day, you pat them on the back and say, you did great because you found the base part of their knowledge, which is what, whether you or somebody else instilled in them, believe in them, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, before we conclude, is there anything you want to say? Like, like I tell any of any of my guests, like this is, uh, this is your, it's essentially your platform, your time to get any message you want to get out there across to anybody struggling or or maybe they just need to hear that 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 one thing to get them out of this rut that they're in or whatnot yeah man so if i could say anything to anyone it's that you you might be your own biggest enemy and you might be the one who's blocking up your growth take an honest look in the mirror See if you are comfortable with the person that you are. See if you feel like you're being challenged. And if you're not feeling challenged, you're not reaching your maximum potential. Go out and do something that makes you uncomfortable. And if you succeed, great. Find something new. Keep pushing that envelope. You'll start believing in yourself more and you'll realize that you're capable of more than you ever thought that was possible. And if you fail, guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. You found your limit. You know where the benchmark is and you know what you need to do to improve yourself. Whether it's going out and taking a class, you know, a hands-on class, uh, a high intensity class, like a, a Spartan, a Flames, a smoke diver class, whatever. Whether it be just going out and getting into your gear to do a simple workout. Whether it be going out and trying to get a, a new certification or going back to try and get your post-secondary education. Challenge yourself. You only have one life to live one life you don't know what happens when you wind up crossing that veil to the other side and you're no longer here you might as well do everything you can in the limited time that you have here because you don't know when that day is going to come that you're no longer here you might as well try and leave a maximum impact on your life whether it be spend more time with your friends more time with your family take more pictures you know spend more time with your crew challenge yourself believe in yourself there's only going to be one of you. There's only going to be one Danny. There's only going to be one Ian in this world. Why not try and become the best version of yourself that you can be? Why not try and become the best person that you can be? You know, 
whether it be in the fire service, whether it be at home, whether it be involved in some type of fraternal organization or try and be the best person in the sight of your perceived mystical sky wizard. You got one life, man. Challenge the status quo. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to throw your life away and start over. Challenge yourself. Get out of your comfort zone. Be better tomorrow than you were today and suck less. All right. I like it. I like it. I like how, we, how we're ending this one. I like how we're ending on a positive note. So, um, yeah, man, I, I truly appreciate you coming on. I really do. Uh, this has been a good one. And I hope uh, anyone listening can, can, can take away some nuggets that that was just, that was just uh, talked about on here. So I, I appreciate you coming on. I really do. Hey man, uh, I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me. You know, I just tried to cold call you not to, get on a podcast or anything, but just to let you know that I believe in, in what you were doing. You know, I've done that with a couple of different podcasts that that are out there because it's guys like you who are trying to spread the message of the job and, and make the job better. You know, we need guys out there like you who are trying to do your small part to challenge yourself, to challenge the job, to challenge other people. And man, I just want you to know that uh, I appreciate everything that you do. Appreciate that. Thank you. Really do. Really do. Appreciate it. Some days I'm like, I don't know, should I keep going? And then uh, I get messages from you and messages from others that are like, hey, man, I really appreciate what, what you're doing. It's helped me with this and that and the other. So it's like, okay, that's my sign. Keep going. So I'm going to keep going until I, uh, until I'm like, all right, I'll just uh, give it up and let somebody else have the torch. But I, I really do appreciate you, pal. Thank you. Hey, man, we're all in it together, right? Absolutely. All right, pal. You stay safe. All right. We'll see you. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.